now Dorothy Ramsey is going to come and read our scripture reading for us. taken from Mark chapter 15, 1 to 15, and 25 to 47. It's rather a long reading, and I am using the NIV. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and turned him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is, as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one who called the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to him. He then had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander, sorry, it's number 25, it was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, 
Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthini, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with a sponge with white vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now let him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard this cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joses and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joses, saw where he was laid. Amen. Thank you, Dorothy. It's quite a lengthy reading, but we kind of needed to get the whole story of the cross. So there you go. Will you please join me in prayer again? for you to speak to us. We long for you to hear our questions, to hear our doubts and our worries. And we long for you to say something new to us today. So we open ourselves thankful that your spirit is already here, already in our lives, already working. If only we had the eyes to see it and the ears to hear it. And so we pray that through your spirit, you would open us to your word. Show us what we need to see. Guide us in your way through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The story of the cross is a terrible story. It's perhaps the weirdest choice ever for the last sermon that I'm preaching at Fitzroy to preach on the cross. But it so happened that Steve wants to work his way through Mark, and I ended up with crucifixion. So... But it's an awful story. There's corruption, there's collusion, there's rioting and blasphemy. Cries of mocking, cries of anguish. The temple curtain being torn. And it all ends with murder. But 
we can get so comfortable with the story of the cross that we could tell it to our children at bedtime. We could use new words that are more comfortable, like maybe the sweet blood of Jesus or that old rugged cross, like it was something a little more comfortable. And these aren't really bad things to want to tell the story of the cross in ways that we can actually cope with. But I think sometimes we need to re-examine how we've come to understand the cross and to look at what we're actually saying. There are many, many ways to tell the story of the cross. We could tell it as a place of atoning sacrifice where the holy God who could not be in the presence of sin let Jesus take upon himself our sin so that this God could be in our presence. We could tell it as the ultimate embodiment of the links that God would go to to redeem humanity from our, from our fallen state. We could tell it as the fullest example of true sacrifice, of Christ giving his one life to save the lives of all. We could tell it as the story of God overcoming death and sin forever, reconciling humanity to each other and to God. In another way, we could tell it as an example of political and religious collusion, of how the systems of our world would rather let a murderer die than someone who would challenge them go free. We could tell this story any of these ways, and we probably have at some point. But knowing me, I want to tell the story a new way, hopefully new way. I want to tell it not from the perspective of the men who had the power to shape these events, who had a say in what happened, but I want to tell it from the perspective of the women who never left Jesus' side, helpless as they were to stop these events from happening. The women who were there from the beginning and even at the end watched and followed all the way to the tomb and even were there to announce the resurrection. I want to know their story. I want to know what the cross meant for these women who were so kept in their place until they met Jesus. And I want to see the expressions on their faces as they watched the person who gave them dignity lose all of his dignity as he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want to hear their crying. I want to witness their courage and not fleeing when everyone else who followed Jesus did. We don't hear a lot about these women. They're sort of a little afterthought at the end of this long chapter that tells the story of Jesus' death. But the fact that they get a mention at all in a text produced by our church fathers says that they must have been remarkable women. So who were they? Well, we know some of them. First, we, it says that there was Mary Magdalene, that woman erroneously labeled as a prostitute and seldom remembered for having been at the cross. What we know of her story comes from Luke, where it says that she was cured of seven demons and began to follow Jesus along with several women. There are several different Marys in Scripture, as you know, and this is probably what leads to the confusion about this particular Mary's chosen profession. Mary was a woman who had experienced both profound suffering and the profound encounter of healing from Jesus 
and she was never the same again. She never looked back, not even when she had to stand and watch her Lord be murdered, to hear his cries of sorrow and pain. Still, she followed him, and she didn't follow him because this was what a woman was meant to do in those days. She followed him because this was what love compelled her to do. And then we have Mary, Jesus's own mother, the woman who on hearing the news as a scared teenager that she was to give birth, said to the angel Gabriel, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And with these words, the most important work of her life was born and grew. She was there when Jesus took his first steps, when he taught the rulers of the synagogue at 12, when he performed his first miracle, when he stumbled carrying the cross. And still she is there. She watched as Jesus was taunted and mocked and despised. If Jesus on the cross was God experiencing the depths of human pain, then Mary, as his mother, entered into that pain with him. She had heard a long time ago the angel Gabriel say, nothing is impossible with God. And yet those words must have seemed hollow as she watched her son die before her eyes. So did Mary hope in the resurrection? I don't know. How in the middle of such debilitating grief could she? But she didn't leave, even though it meant witnessing the most horrific event of her life. She did not leave her son alone on the cross. She stayed with him, even if from a distance, and did not forsake him. Because that's what a mother does, even if your son is God. And then we have Salome, the woman whose name means peaceful. Married to the fisherman Zebedee, and mother to James and John, she was an old family friend of Jesus. They would have shared meals together, good memories, and gone on journeys together. Salome would have been a wealthy woman, one who actually gave up a lifestyle of relative comfort in order to follow this Jesus she believed in. She even gave of her money, and obviously her time and her family. The text says, that these women followed Jesus and provided for him. This Greek word, don't fall asleep. I know it sounds boring. I said Greek. The Greek word, though, is where we get the word deacon from. And it doesn't just mean to provide for, like you might provide someone with a nice wee cup of tea and a biscuit. It means to minister to. So these women providing for Jesus, weren't just doing what women had to do. They were ministers to him. And some say there can't be woman ministers. He should have told Jesus this. And so we have these three women, two Marys and Salome, and the countless other unnamed women who stay at the cross. When most of the other disciples flee from the horror witness there, can't stand it, can't watch it, can't face it, these women stay. Why don't they leave? Some people have said that the women stay because they were less at risk than the men. 
were incredibly vulnerable in those days, and a whole group of women without the protection of a man even more so. There was rioting going on. There were people being killed. This was not a comfortable place for women to be. So they stayed, and they saw the jealousy in the eyes of the religious leaders, as they would rather have Jesus killed than compete with him. They saw the calculated puppet show Pilate made out of the crowd with his rhetoric of, what do you wish me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? And they heard the mocking of Jesus, even from the bandits on the crosses next to him. And at the end, they heard the centurion say that as Jesus breathed his last, surely this man was the son of God. Because only a child of God could endure such extreme suffering and having the power to stop it, give himself with complete selfless love. And later, after Jesus had died, these women still ministered to him by going to anoint his body, only to discover that the one who they had always followed had gone on ahead of them, out of the tomb raised to new life. And these minister women, these who never abandoned Jesus, were the ones to announce the resurrection. It's only fitting that they should be the ones to tell the good news. Now these women did not make a show out of the fact that they followed Jesus. They even did it at a distance. But the legacy of their faithfulness still speaks. Mary Magdalene's relentless love for her Savior, Mary's steadfast devotion to her son, and Salome's constant support of her friend echo what it looks like to follow Jesus. The cross for these women meant community no matter what the cost, and love that even death does not defeat. So Jesus did not keep these women in the place that he had for them, but instead called them equals and ministers to him. And Jesus is still doing this. He's still using women and men to build up the kingdom of God, of justice and peace and unity. When I think about all of these Marys and this Salome, I think about a woman who I met in Romania um, on our trip very recently, and her name, fittingly enough, was Mary. Mary was a woman who worked at a Christian hotel that we stayed at in Romania. And she could have very easily gone about her work, given us the key to our room, given us something to eat, and then gone back to her room and not interacted with us. But there was something about this Mary that echoed grace and love and care for people who she didn't even know. She put so much effort into every meal she gave us. Whenever we saw her, she would greet us with a smile and be so friendly. Even when we kept her up late at night, she was really gracious and loving and would give me a cup of coffee extra in the morning. I really loved Mary. Um, She's a wonderful person. And she showed me what it looks like for a woman or for anyone to follow Jesus in a way that is so unassuming so simple, but so completely self-giving and gracious. So she was a minister to me, that Mary, and 
won't forget her. Now all this talk about women ministers, here we go. I've heard the terms politically correct or feminist used as the antithesis to the gospel, the descriptor of all that's wrong with today's society. And I think for some, these might be the worst words you could use. Call me rude, call me short, call me silly, don't call me a feminist. I think in practice, things like political correctness and feminism have sometimes come across as patronizing, uppity, and just plain boring. But in ethos, there may be different things. These labels might not always be helpful. But the fact remains, Jesus was about the radical inclusion of all, the high being brought low and the low being brought high, women being given their place in a society and religion that found this highly offensive. In its best form, we might just call this feminism, but not squashing men to make women feel better, but creating a divine community where women and men are equally a part of women Jesus concerned himself with. He sought out those whose society and religion labeled as sinner or unclean, ate at the Last Supper with one who he knew would betray him, and in Luke's telling of the crucifixion, even invited people next to him on the cross to eternal life. So condemnation and labeling, that's Pilate's work. Inclusion and sacrificial love, that's Jesus' work. And relentless following of this Jesus, that's the women's work. That's our work. When we stand with these women at the cross, we see it as a call to radically engage with real suffering and also to move into the hope of the resurrection. We are called, like these women, to be compelled to follow Jesus wherever love leads. We have to follow him into the Roma villages, where children hug with filthy arms and smile with hungry joy. We have to follow him into the lives of those who feel the church has abandoned or judged them. We have to follow him into the depths of our own lives and share one another's burdens with vulnerability and grace. We have to follow him into the fight for equality and dignity for all people, female, male, black, white, otherwise, gay, straight, young, old, educated, uneducated, rich, poor, Protestant, Catholic, Texan, Northern Irish, short, tall. We have to follow him when it gets loud and messy and uncomfortable because the cross was not a place of comfort. We have to follow him because this is what love demands of us. I have to even follow him away from this place in a few weeks, which I'm really not keen on. We're having some issues here. Um, I have to follow him to a new call in ministry. But the good news is, when we follow Jesus, we don't do it alone. Like the women who were with each other at the cross, we are with each other. You're a part of my path to Jesus, and I'm a part of your path to Jesus. So this is the last time I get to preach to you all.
And I'm going to take this opportunity in one-way communication. <laughs> it's really unfair, actually, that I get to talk and you just have to sit there and listen. But I'm going to talk anyway. I want to take this time to say thank you for helping me follow Jesus. Thank you for showing me what it means to be a minister. Thanks for the cups of tea, conversations over painting an ark of all random things. It's still sort of there. Um, thank you for the emails. Thank you for the music swaps. Thank you for the meals. Thank you for worship. Thank you for your prayer. Thank you for being you. All of these things have been a part of you showing me what it means to be a minister. And so I'm thankful. And I won't forget it. And I won't ever fully leave this place. Okay, I'm going to have to stop because I'll cry. Amen. (laughs) 